Good evening and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. I want to wish everyone who is fasting for the blessed month of Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak, or blessed fast, and uh want to do a shout out to all of the ancestors and uh, trailblazers who um, established uh, American classical music. Uh, this is that month. This is Jazz Heritage Month. And I also want to, um, you know, just sort of uh, give honor to those who have uh, been uh, been masters and mistresses of, of the word, uh, the spoken word. You know, words make things happen, right? And um, and everything begins with the word, um, you know, creation even. So uh, this is uh, um, National Poetry Month. So I am going to play a song by Billy Harper, Knowledge of Self, featuring Amiri Baraka, Imamu Amiri Baraka Ashe. But before we do that, because I'm just going to roll into our our first conversation, I um, had an interview last month with uh, Catherine Sebron, uh, curator of the Bay Area Women's Theater Festival Black Indigenous Women of Color Play Reading Series. And April features playwright uh, Alejandra Maria Rivas. Uh, Rivas. Uh, her play is La Paloma. And I'm really sorry, but I didn't get this uh, broadcast in time, so there's only one more reading. It's uh, first and third Mondays. So you haven't missed the second reading. It's in the East Bay, uh, April 18th at the Aurora Theater Company, uh, 2081 Addison Street in Berkeley, downtown. And then May... Uh, is featuring playwright Tracy Baxter, and her play is Kudzu 2012, and it goes up Monday, May 2nd at Bravo Theater Center, uh, 2781 24th Street in San Francisco, and Monday it'll be in the East Bay, May 16th, 3rd Monday, at the Aurora Theater Company, uh, again, 2081 Addison Street in Berkeley. So we had a really fabulous conversation, and... Um, if you want to watch it, it's on Facebook.com forward slash Wanda's Picks, or you can just kick back and listen to it here and then go watch it. <laughs> All righty, so, um, so we're going to start with this wonderful um, piece by Billy Harper, Knowledge of Self, really important to know who you are. And I also want to mention a couple of things that are happening. Um, this is the uh, first day of the um, Olakun Rising ritual and if you want to find out information about that sort of blessing the waters of the planet and asking for their forgiveness um that's being headed by um yay yay louisa tish and so all of the information is on wandaspicks.com uh there is a zoom link and also you know how to participate there's a going to be um a uh, ritual at in alameda tomorrow and there's some things that are going to be happening in Zoom. There's some other things going to be happening in Berkeley or North Oakland. So um, it's all free. And uh, so if you want to participate in that, uh, definitely check out wandaspicks.com. And you should just follow me, and then you won't miss anything because I post throughout the month. And so, um, yeah. So if you don't want to miss anything, you should follow my website, and you should also follow. Uh, you should also follow the radio show. 
so you don't miss anything like this evening broadcast. <laughs> so Olakun Rising, um, uh, again, is it starts tonight, uh, right now, 8 to 10. And it's uh, at um, uh, Oyanike's Botanica, 2988, no, 29, yeah, 2988 Allen Street in Berkeley. Uh, really nice space the brother has there. And uh, and then the uh, the day, uh, uh, yeah, this thing's happening all over the place. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go to my website. I can't read it to you. It's really, really long. Uh, but I wanted to mention to you something that's happening uh, in Zoom tomorrow. Um, this is a tribute to the life of Eric uh, Priestley, founding member of the Watts Writers Workshop. And so that is going to be featuring Quincy Troop, um, Ojinke, Father um, Amdi, Hamilton, uh, Johnny Scott, uh, Kay Curtis-Lyle, and Kamal Daoud. And, uh, again, that's tomorrow, April 9th at 2 p.m. Pacific Coast time. And it's going to be hosted by Pam Ward and uh, D. Hadio Maruyama. And uh, and all is free as well. And the Zoom information is on my website, wandaspicks.com, P-I-C-K-S, Wanda's, W-A-N-D-A-S, so wandaspicks.com. Same as the radio show, same as the blog, same as my um, Instagram, same as my uh, Twitter. Yeah, Wanda's Picks. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Let's see. So now I am going to play this wonderful song and then jump right on into that interview. So here is Billy Harper and uh, Mamu Amir Baraka in Knowledge of Self. Fletcher's grandness, the heir to his big bandness, was a master arrived to forever lay out the blue wonderfulness of the orchestra, Duke Ellington, whose greatness transcends all trends. 
Duke told Max, don't let them call your music jazz, because they can make anything that. What prophecy, cold and true? Why, they can say what your boy, what's-his-name, Elevator G is playing, is that you did. But then, what's-his-name was the king of jazz? And what's the other dude was the king of swing? And we now up to in that alley, banging on them tin pans, they call it swing. But they meant a noun, not a verb. Never could get the verb in it. Remember all them ladies and men, masters and mistresses of the verbal thing? Ethel Waters and her blue New American classical popular song. And Billy, who reached the deepest tear in our heart. And Ella, all flying off them wonderful bands who carried our hearts, our meaning in their songs. The royalty like Duke and the Count of Basie. The lady who made her alliance with the real American president, Mr. Young. And you know they swung. Bean, the mighty hawk, taught us all how Lewis sounded on another horn. And the cats in their band, Duke's people at the top of the steeple, Johnny Hodges, Harry Carney, Cootie Williams, Cat Anderson, Paul Gonzalez, Ben Webster, and other greats who morphed into another age. If the 20s was the jazz age, then the 30s, the Great Depression, people seemed like they got skinny. But the age of swing, from all those songs, the world was looking for love, but it seemed like there wasn't any. Goose-stepping in Europe, pain in Spain. They was painting mustaches on the Mona Lisa and putting a commode in the museum. Had civilization stopped? My man Helene said they couldn't stop bebop, and they won't stop hip-hop. Bird blue, dizzy new. Max carried our original earth to this place where we grew. Bud smiled, and here come miles. There was a bee and a bop. It's just another beat, another bee and another act. Where the is and the unis cohabit the same frame. But the sound was a verb, not a noun, unless you couldn't Congo style really get down our share shake. But then the could did, and then them original hipsters appeared with the Vance and the Baudio Rudy. Said you gotta have them black notes, actually they is blue. I want my fist flatted. And you gotta have the drum where we and the music come from. Dig, that word was the first I heard. It all can't be on paper. For the proper syncopation, you gotta have improvisation. You gonna take them tired chords and make our own songs, our own stories. Otherwise, it's too dull. It don't swing. It ain't hip. We said we wanted wild, crazy, frantic. We wanted it to be exactly like us. Gone from the square world or out to lunch. My man Symphony said from the jazz corner of the world, it sounded like there was never anything before as hip as Birdland and this lullaby where I first heard the divine one. Sassy say, you're not that kind of a boy. You're not that kind of a boy. You're not that kind of a boy for a girl like me. And we heard of Fats Navarro and Fat Girl and Kenny Clark and Kluge and Long Tall Dexter Gordon and Stan Getz and Zoot Sims. We heard the hippest people in the world. But remember, when you go out, somebody's going to try to bring you back in. Bop was too hot, the anti-bop squad said. Too fast, too crazy. Crazy, we said. The counterattack was to bring it back. Y'all been out to lunch too long. Whether it was swing or bebop, Disney dream. If you wanted a cop, you had to hit the street. An old road out of the jungle, that's 52nd Street. Where the Charleston hit the New York docks. 12th Avenue was a shock. From Angola to the Gullahs in South Carolina, got the first thing smoked, went up to New York. Charleston, James P. wrote. Greet those who landed in the Devil's Northern House. Hell's Kitchen, to be exact. San Juan Hill, Monk and Vinnie Carter's home, where Lincoln Center sits still. That's right. He on the only money that ain't white. But what we was trying to say, when it got too hot, some folks tipped away. 
from that street. I think it was the heat. Last scene heading west, their next address. It was cool, really cool. Some said calm down. Miles said get down. Stan heard, Clue, Budo, Jerry heard, Lee heard, John Lewis heard, Gil Evans heard, Pancho Haygood heard. They gave birth to the school, the real birth of the cool. When the memory of the hip start to slip, the gorgeous blue, the funk we knew. They're going to bend their knees and raise it back from the mood indigo that flows out of the black. What was bad could be bad. Much, much better than that. Thus spoke that. So when Cool started to fool with my man Jojo's soul, he went out and put the church in where the Negroes' eyes be rolling back in their head and start speaking some stuff ain't never been said. A dude named Buhena played them drums like he was insane. I'm from the blue continent of dark under your heartbeat. Dudes named Horace drugged the funky gospel into the joints, hollering, let me see what you do with your shovel. And the Holy Ghost popping his tambourine, chick a ching razzle in the room. That's nasty when you bring Africa and the Lord in like that. He wanted the messengers from the Holy Ghost Mau Mau Baptist Church, and they got a message from Kenyon 125th Street. The University of Blakey, the Academy of, well, it might have seemed like that, but it really was this, where you could dig Hank Mobley and listen nobly to the man who called the uncrowned king, Kenny Dorham, but always so many others came to fill up the space with names of that school, Clifford Brown, Lou Donaldson, Chrissy Heath, Donald Bird, Jack McLean, Lee Morgan, Benny Goldson, all the way to Billy Harper and Wynton Marcellus. What all that was is the saving of the deep historical bonds, the blues, the ancient call and response from across the trees and through the woods so you know where I am and I wait for your response. Our blue life memory all the way back across the world. The zigzag of chance, the improv, and fix however to the mighty drum, the rhythm of life, what has no beat cannot stay. What was called hard bop was something to wake us up again to the rhythm of ourselves. Max and Brownie, along with Buhena, helped bring the fire back. The post-cool smoke fanned from the wings of the great bird, but now the heavy motion would be by train. We call that band of miles the Hydrogen Bomb and Switchblade Band. Paul and Red, Cannonball, the Funkus, Mad Philly Joe and Train, the monster with the horn. Actually, Miles' great band was but a preface to another awesome being, Trains, Coy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison, Elvin Jones. The train had to pass through the sphere of Theolonius to get deep into the mysterioso of the funk, leaving the world of the merely hip for the monkishly profound. Monk and train at the five spot opens a new world of other than where you've been. Let me tell you, I was there. Train didn't even know the arrangements. He sounded like a stranger. But in a minute, train was in it, and the whole building moved and pulled away. Little Rudy Tootie, jackying and Monk's mood. Surround so midnight, the new music came. We never was the same. By the time they got from the Bowery to Carnegie Hall, must have been time for something next stop new. Even a Pharaoh, an Ornette, an Albert, a Sun Ra fell by. They heard trains cry. Monks blew inside. A new world welcomed those with ears to hear. And I'll... Ah... So happy to have all of you all here to talk about the uh, 2022 Bay Area Women's Theater Festival, mini festival, which is three months long, mini <laughs> is relative, certainly. Uh, we have in the studio with us Alejandra um, M. Rivera, Rivers? Rivas. Rivas, thank you. And we have 
uh, she's an instigator, and we have the choreographer for this wonderful uh, series we're going to be talking about, the Black, Indigenous, Women's Color Plus reading series, uh, the, cur the curator, Catherine, and um, Catherine, uh, I didn't have your name, Catherine, what's your last name, Catherine? Sebron. Sebron, yes, thank you, sorry, I'm looking for my notes. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> and um and you are the curator of this wonderful festival, and we're so excited to talk to you about how you put this together and who's in the festival and um, and about more about, you know, the Women's uh, Theater Festival in general. And then we have Tracy Baxter, who is also uh, one of the presenters, and her month is May. She's going to close out the mini festival. Oh. Yeah, yeah, this is really exciting. And then, you know, we're, of course, going to talk about the featured poet, you know, name her, who is for March, um, which is really exciting. She had her work um, Monday and uh, and I think last week. Is that correct? Uh, the, this week uh, there was Nevermind mm -hmm. uh, by I, Aida, and that was the first Monday and the third Monday of okay. uh, so last, this past Monday, she had her last reading at Aurora. Right, right. So, Oh, you all can weep. Um, you missed it. But um, yeah, maybe there might be a virtual recording or something. Later there on. is. About. There is. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, again, welcome, welcome to uh, Wanda's Pick Virtual. Um, and uh, so let's talk about the 2022 uh, Bay Area Women's Theater Festival. Tell us a little bit about it and specifically about the um, uh, the series that you have curated, Catherine. Well, um, it's called a mini festival because uh, back in 2020, before the world uh, ended, um, Bay Area's Women's Festival had reached out to so many, um, more than 50 theaters in the general Bay Area, and we had asked them to do plays centering women with women designers, with women directors, and then everything closed down. So we did that virtually, and uh, and we didn't do anything 2021. And our lead instigator, um, Mickey Goldhaber, decided we have to do something. We can't let another year go by. So we decided to do a mini festival, um, which is the, we're doing the BIWOC play reading. That's Black Indigenous Women of Color Plus play reading, um, and we're doing the classical women's play reading, and we're alternating them over over three months. Um, now, the Buy Walk Plus play reading, um, we're also, we're including, we're including people who identify as women. Um, I thought it would be good to do the play reading on both sides of the bridge, because uh People aren't trying to be on BART right now. It's dangerous. Uh, people aren't traveling as much. Um, people in San Francisco want to stay there. People in the East Bay want to stay there. So I wanted as many people to see these wonderful plays as possible. So that's how that's how that all came to be. That's why we're doing this this mini festival. Right, right. And those two venues are um, Brava Theater uh, uh -huh. uh, in the arts and um, also the Aurora Theater. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, great, great partnership. 
Certainly. Yeah. I mean, they're fantastic theaters. So um, we're really happy to be working with them. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So we're going we're gonna to circle back uh, and talk more about yeah. you, um, Catherine. But wanted to have um, our playwrights certainly to be able to. Um, Absolutely. To to have their say as 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 um what is it um <laughs> those wonderful elders you know who live to be quite 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 into their their maturity um yes was, yeah I yeah, know exactly who you're talking sisters. about I can't think of their name yeah the Delaney sisters yes yes <laughs> yeah and um and you know and and then also I think about you know having one's room or one's own and and women have an opportunity to um to be able to create and speak their truth without through a male lens, you know, not having mm-hmm. a lens to guide the conversation or the discourse. Because a lot of times we've condi- we're conditioned to speak our truth through a lens. I mean, we, we filter ourselves. Right. <laughs> when there are no men in the house, you know, no male bodies in the house. So it's kind of interesting. So I think we'll, we'll start with you, um, Alejandra, Alejandra Maria, uh, Rivas. Rivas, thank you. I need to mm-hmm. accent on that. Uh, your play is <laughs> La Paloma, and the story of how you came to write the play is, is so interesting. But you are the featured uh, playwright for April, and you are going to be having your readings uh, April 4th on one side of the bay. Uh, I guess, is that Brava or Aurora? Yeah, April 4th at Brava and April 18th at Aurora. Okay, awesome, awesome. And, and you are a Mexican-American non-binary femme theater artist hailing from the San Gabriel Valley of California, mm-hmm. currently living in the Bay Area. And you're also an um, instigator, you know, with um, the Bay Area uh, Women's Theater uh, Festival. And uh, you'll tell us why when we get to that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, they are a writer and producer, uh, La Paloma, Magic Fruit, Curly Fries, Collective Rage. Uh, a director, Late, A Cowboy Song, 365 Days, 365 Plays, The Clean House, This Modern Art, A Stage Manager, A One-Man Show, Pussy Grabbing Revenge, Collective Rage, Intimacy, Choreographer, School for Life, Performer, and I don't know how to pronounce that particular name. How do you say it? Which one are you talking uh, about? Ame, Ame Manos. Oh, Amemono. I knew I was saying it wrong. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and the one next one after that is uh, the, there should be like pronunciation keys next to this. Uh, Oristeo? Oh, the Oristaya. I did a reading uh, yeah. prior to, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and I think I'm pronouncing this right. Sobs? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, and then Measure for Measure, In the Heights, Cabaret, Twelfth Night, This Estrada, Impure Thoughts. And, and the list goes on. <laughs> uh, you are a teaching artist uh, at Cal Shakes, an artist administrator for American Conservatory Theater and the Bay Area Women's Theater Festival. You know, mm-hmm. you're one of those artists that can work both sides of the brain. Oof, yeah, <laughs> multi hyphenate artist for totally, sure. Totally, yeah. And you are a contempt- company member of Theater First, and you study performance, theater arts, and psychology at St. Mary's College of California. Mm-hmm. And you like to read lots of books and eat lots of food. So what did you have for breakfast today since this is not your first meeting? 
Right. So <laughs> what I have for breakfast today was just some, some toast, but I put some avocado and ricotta on it and put some chili flakes on top. Uh, I would normally put an egg on top as well, but I ran out of eggs. So <laughs> funny. That's so cool. So um, tell us about this play, uh, its inception, you know, because it's not like you didn't just write it just, you know, for this particular uh festival reading. Uh, so tell us about his genesis. It's a really interesting story. And and what's it about? And then um, Catherine, certainly, you know, jump in because, you know, you curated the, you know, this particular program. So obviously, there might be a theme, there might be a reason why you wanted this play. And you read the play, you know the play. So please, you know, have I'm going to let, I'm going to let the play, all I can say is the play is beautiful. And uh, it made me well up, mm. and I'm gonna let her tell. I'm gonna let them tell you about the play okay. themselves. All right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So uh, I would have never considered myself a writer, to be quite honest. But I had this mentor, and I still consider her a mentor, even though she's a few states away now. Uh, but Lisa Marie Rollins was someone who really encouraged me to be a writer. Uh, me and a friend of mine, Kimia Shokri, were kind of just, you know, budding writers, and we had stories to tell. So Lisa Marie gave us a prompt of writing something about our ancestors. So this is where the play kind of took off, where I just wrote this, just a few pages about uh, something that was dear to me was the story of how my family came to the United States. Um, and that was through the Bracero program where Americans were relying on Mexican labor. So to grant citizenship or to grant payment, uh, folks were taken from Mexico to the United States and either working in the fields or working on the railroads. And my uh, great-grandfather particularly worked on the Santa Fe Railroad. So that was kind of an inspiration. And the play specifically dives into the afterlife. And in Mexican culture, the after, like we have the Dia de los Muertos holiday. And so it's the roots. I did a lot of research on the roots of that holiday uh, and how it's kind of just this combination of Aztec religion and also Catholic tradition that, you know, the Spanish colonizers brought with them and how there's just like we, death is celebrated. We have parties at funerals, really. It's a celebration of the life that one lived. And so that was also an inspiration. So it's a two-character play. It's uh, this character named Bracero, character named Daughter, and they're meeting each other in the afterlife um, and kind of going on a journey together about what it means to be there. It, it talks about memory. It talks about, you know, magical, like, realism and just how, how things sit with you when someone's moved on to the next life. So it's kind of a little snippet. I hope I was coherent, uh, but yeah, it's kind of a little journey of what it is. It sounds sounds like it's done. it's really really beautiful. Have it you? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had an opportunity to to sit in on some of the readings and what do you think? So uh, this 
play has had, I've had people read it to me before, and then in 2020, right before, I think this was the last reading that happened right before the pandemic hit, so it was very early March 2020 that we were able to get a reading at Aurora. It was uh, the first and the last. That was the first <laughs> and the last reading yes. uh, of the of the BIWAC series uh, in 2020, and it was directed by Marisa Ramos, and it had this beautiful cast, and I had someone who read stage directions, um, or I should say Marisa had someone who read stage directions as well, and so that was really beautiful to hear uh, people just who I had never really met before read the read the play for me in an audience of people that I didn't know and to hear their thoughts on what they thought my writing meant to them. So just to see that even though this personal little play that I didn't mean to be so public was a little public, I it was. I felt very humbled and grateful and just, it was, it was, they were all very gracious with what they were saying about it. And so I'm very excited to see what uh, the director for this round, April Ballesteros, what she's going to do uh, with the reading on the fourth. Yeah. Oh, so you will be, you don't know what, what it's going to look like yet. No, I'm very much someone who, uh, like it's the play is my baby, yes, but I'm also like I am going to leave it in your care right now because I want to see what they do with it. Um, right. Even though it's a personal play, I really trust April with the work, so I I just kind of want to see what people who I'm a little bit more removed from will do because I think that will maybe inform future iterations of the piece because even though it's in, in a state of completeness right now. I feel like there might be more to be done to it. Um, so it's very much a work in process. So I'm very grateful to have a reading uh, to help me with that process as well. Wow, wow, that's exciting. It's, it's like a rebirth, huh? Oh, it really is, really is, yeah. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And have have your family members seen the play since it's it's a it's a collective you know your family story have they seen it? Um, yeah, so they they've read like a few drafts of it and they get very emotional when they read it because it it's very much it, I pull from both sides of my family even though it was one particular uh, side of the family that it was based on. But I pulled based on like how I grew up. I interviewed my relatives to see, you know, what pieces uh, they could, you know, offer me. And they were very gracious in their offerings. So they've read it. They've cried because it's meant a lot to them. And, and so they were able to see a recording of the version that happened in 2020. And they were very moved by it. And so I'm hoping that can happen again um, because this is, it's just a play that's close to me and they're very supportive about the work that I do. And so, um, yeah, I, I think hopefully they'll be moved again. Mm -hmm. and, and what about the Unseen Realm? Uh, did you get any kind of feedback on that level from these stories and these memories that you stirred up? 
unseen realm, do you mean the afterlife aspect or ancestors? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, yeah, the unseen. It's kind of just this world that I I made up a little bit. Um, I don't want to give too many things away of the world I created, but uh, it's definitely an in-between space. It's not fully, uh, it's not fully a place. It's just very much a place of limbo, a place of transition, a place of something's done and what do we do next um, type of space. And so I, I gathered what I could based on, you know, how I grew up in a Catholic household, but also the religion of the Aztecs and my the ancestors that I definitely have on that side. Um, so I kind of pulled what I, what I could and then threw in my own personal, uh, I guess, ancestral uh, roots with a railroad um, kind of being thrown into it. So... I don't want to give too much away, but I hope that made sense. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about, um, you know, when you were talking about how your family members who were able to read the play mm -hmm. and then later watch the recording of the reading mm -hmm. um, moved. And I was just thinking, you know, sort of since you're, you're sort of um, uh, acting as a medium, you know, between the realms, like mm -hmm. in your dreams or mm -hmm. a feeling, Mm -hmm. Do you get into? You know, I don't know if your grandfather is still alive. Um, is he? No, no. This is. I've actually. Okay, so he was my great grandfather that initially inspired it, and he he was the one that really brought the family over, um, over here on on my maternal side. Um, so I I had actually never met him, but he was so he was very present all the time. Like we like we we talk about our dead all the time. Um, so he was always very present. I always wanted to meet him. And when I was younger, there's a story, I, I, I don't remember it, but there's a story that is now told about me that uh, I would dream about this man, um, but I didn't know who it was. And then I looked at a picture that my grandmother had and I said, oh, that's the man from my dreams. And she was like, that's my father. Like, how did, how did, how is he popping up in your dreams? I'm like, oh no, I talk to him in my dreams all the time. Um, so it was very, it's just a very weird, like, oh, like he's in my dreams and I'm talking to him, but I've never met him before. I've never seen him before. I never, like, he just popped up. Um, so yeah, very present. It was just kind of this weird little, you know, thing that happened as a child and hasn't really happened since but yeah he's just always been there um and I think I, as I was saying earlier I'm a very like practical for evident administrator and I honestly think that really comes from him because he was very much like this is how like we need to hold ourselves we need to assimilate we need to you know we like which you know assimilation oof but uh but yeah like we need to make our way so that like we're here we're, we're present we're we're not gonna we came here to have a better life, and that's what we're going to do. Um, so that's very much the motivator of, like, I need to get things done. <laughs> yeah, so he's always been there. Very weird, but very nice at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, what a wonderful spirit guide, you know, your, mm -hmm. your great-grandfather. And, and what an honor you do to tell the story, you know. Yeah, I hope so, yeah. Yeah, wow. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. No doubt. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, how, how exciting. Well, congratulations again. So we'll, we'll circle back. Now we're going to um, gonna invite our other uh, playwright hey, to, to join us and talk about, about your work. And you are, again, you are the featured playwright. Woohoo! For May, you're going to wrap it up. Um, and I was, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Mother's Day is in there. And I was thinking, uh, Alejandra, you know, we've got the Resurrection Day and how appropriate, you know, to talk about the ancestors, <laughs> you know, during a period when people are like reflecting on, on, you know, sort of like, well, what's important to me? What do I need to let go of? And then the whole idea of you get to do this, you know, you get to like restart it, you know, like, you know, you're not in purgatory, you know, we get an opportunity to resurrect ourselves, you know. Every day, every day we wake up, right? Beautiful curating. <laughs> mm, totally, totally, yeah. So Tracy, um, yes, yeah, you are going to be sharing with us your work, uh, Kudzu. Kudzu, 2012 or 2012, depending on how fancy you feel. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and and your play is going to be having its reading uh, debuts on May 2nd. Is that going to be at um, Bravo or the Aurora? Which 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 theater is that one going to be at? Both. Oh no, I mean on May second, you're going to do on both. Where I'm just wondering. It's on May second, and then again on May sixteenth. Yeah, I was just wondering which location was May second, and then which location oh. was May sixteenth. May second will be at Bravo, and May sixteenth will be at Aurora. Okay, awesome, awesome. So San Francisco, and then Berkeley. Um, yes. So Tracy is a writer based in Oak Town, uh, for those yeah. who today, Oakland, for those who don't. <laughs> <laughs> a 2021 um, Brady um, playwriting fellow at Three Girls Theater. Her script, Kutsu? was a semifinalist selection in the 2018 Bay Area Playwright Foundation's New Play Festival and a finalist selection in the 2020 Screencraft Stage Play Contest. She has performed with the Ninjas of Drama. That's heck cool, Ninjas of Drama. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Theater of Others and the uh, Venerable Actors Actors of Ensemble of Berkeley, where she also just made her directorial debut Filming a gripping and well-received online production of Lynn Nottage's Sweat. It was wonderful. When was that? Uh, this was uh, last July okay. online, and it was mm-hmm. nice. a remarkable experience for me because she writes so well, and the the actors connected with the language, and it was so beautiful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So has the directorial bug bit you like, oh, I'm going to do this again. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to do another Lynn Nottage piece, her um, first piece called Poof, which is about um, a woman um, who suffers abuse from her husband, and one day they're yelling, and he just bursts and falls to the ground, a big pile of dust, and her and her girlfriend have to figure out what to do next. So, yeah, I really want to direct that one. Um, Yeah. So but I want I want to write another play too. This mm-hmm. is my my first and only thus far. Oh really? Oh mm-hmm. wow wow. So is is that um, 
Alejandra, is this your only play? Like, I know this is your first play, but this is your first and only play right at the moment? This is my first and only completed play. I have mm-hmm. others that aren't done yet. Okay. Oh, this is so cool. Are you talking to both of you all? Like, yeah, like right at the beginning of that thing. Yeah. 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 We can say, like, yeah, you heard it first. <laughs> yeah, one of the and you all remember when you're getting all those awards and like, yeah, we remember this conversation. Wow, Tracy, how cool. So tell us about about your play, particularly about the name, which I keep on mispronouncing. Oh, sure, sure. Um, do you remember uh, Coney 2012, right? there? It was one of the first viral uh, moments that we had. And in, in a coconut shell, um, this guy, this white crusader type, decided that there was um, a warlord in Africa that he needed to hunt down, and we all needed to participate in it. Became this huge to do online, and then people began to investigate what was going on. And it looks like he misrepresented some things. He was uh, just a, a crazy zealot, and he had a breakdown. Um, that he addressed on an episode of Oprah. So it was really, you know, weird. Um, so Cut Through 2012 sort of borrows from that in that, you know, I wondered, hmm, what makes the white dude go off like this? But the story um, is, about, is about Black family life that disrupted in fact, um, my, my tagline for one purpose was all this age playing, fish fry having, weed smoking, Warfield family wanted was a normal life. And what they got was disrupted. So the story takes place in 2012 when things were beginning to heat up here in Oakland. I thought that I had escaped. Uh, this kind of tech presence when I left my hometown of San Francisco. And for a while, it seemed like things were really cool in Oakland, but then I began to notice that there were crazies on the street, these self-important, arrogant, um, well-paid people driving up the rents and just generally being sort of goofy. Um, (laughs) Right. Right, right, in public, including this one aspect that really drove me up the wall, uh, sidewalk chicken, where you'd be walking down the street and you'd have uh, a young white person just walk up to you and walk right through. And I thought, Tracy, is it noticing this kind of stuff? This means that it's kind of happening. And maybe you should compile all of your um, observations and see where that leads you. And with the help of a book written in the 1930s on playwriting, I wrote my play. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. And it's wonderful and quirky and funny and, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I tried. To, to capture the moment. So I go after kombucha and kale and horrible food substitutes and tiny houses and wearable technology and cat cafes and oh and people, you know, on, on a more serious note, people calling um, the cops on black folks vengefully. Um, 
the the horrible uses of of um, facial recognition technology. Also, I touch on how media and local governments are super uncritical when it comes to you know these um, these self anointed change makers coming into town and devastating what they find in the name of changing things for the better. Wow, it sounds like a great way to conclude a wonderful mini festival. It's a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a comedy with all of that. You know, I I really wanted people to laugh because, you know, I I, I guess, you know, just culturally, we've, we've had to laugh at things because, you know, you get tired of crying. Right. Um, so this story is sort of in the spirit of lifting people's spirits, even as it addresses some some real um, infuriating problems that happen when um, cities get taken over by colonizers and crusaders. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is going to be really, really wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for writing it. And do you have any other other works now that you've written one play? Um, are you planning on doing it again? Do you like a particular way of you know, There is a play that I want to write. Um, and may, maybe, well, there, there, there's a performance piece that I would like to write. Um, I love... Uh, Shakespeare's deal with twins, right? Um, so I would like to write a story about twins uh, here in Oakland, perhaps in the perhaps in the 70s or 80s. I want it to have, I want it to be a bit of a musical, and um, I want it to be a black entertainment. And by that I mean entertainment that you know black folks can sit around and watch and laugh and go yeah that was great that was gratifying I recognized myself it resonated with me so yeah a Shakespearean twins dealy um for black audiences yeah yeah you think about the Ibeji right and and how at one point uh the Ibeji were seen as a curse on the family that they came into and then and then that shifted then it became one where if if Ibeji you know graced your family then you know the Ibeji self they they were um, they were fully they came into the world fully initiated you know with all their medicine already intact you know they're that they're like magical the Ibeji the twins uh, in Yoruba culture and so anyway you know going from oh my goodness Going from burying the children, you know how in Chinese culture, you know, you hear about the children, the girls being buried, um, to, you know, in, in Yoruba culture, to the Beiji being, you know, is sold and elevated. I mean, they lay right there, you know, with, you know, with the, the medicine folks, you know, the, the Orisha. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to be Beiji. So, this so yeah. This a lovely aspect to weave into my story. Mm-hmm, right? yeah. Yeah, so it's a real celebratory kind of thing to to write about. Oh, thanks, Wanda. That that gives me an, an entirely new facet to explore. Mm-hmm, yeah, and you think about all the Ibeji that are 
I mean, it's like so many twins (laughs) that we don't know are twins. And then, you know, you think about when you get more than one, like more than two, like you got triplets and like, and then some families have a lot of twins, like, oh yeah, we got like eight sets of twins from the family. Like, right? Yeah. And yeah. (laughs) And then you think about the one, the, you know, the womb, the woman that carries the multiple beings inside, you know, some from a split, you know, an egg and some from multiple eggs. It's like, whoa, like, wow. I mean, and then having more than one person as a baby in your household, like, I don't know what that feels like, but it must be like something that is just so beautiful, you know, you know, once you can have some perspective, because I know initially it's probably hard. <laughs> and and but then like you just sort of think about that like oh you know like it's one of those kind of things I'm thinking because I haven't experienced that. But, Whoa! Mm-hmm. Well, you have you have really opened my eyes to something, right? Because I was you know just thinking oh, I'll use it as a device, but now it seems like there's a, a lot of again exploring to do to see if there's you know, um, an aspect of the story to be even twins. Right. Twins. And I guess because twins everywhere. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess because I'm I'm a twin. Uh, <gasps> astrologically. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I mean, I was saying like, you know, I'm not a twin. Twin. Um, but close. I have a brother who's like one year, like younger than me, like nine months. You know. So you know, we could we could be considered twins, but no, we didn't come out at the same time. Back in the old times, that would be called Irish twins. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. If your if your sibling is less than a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, so I have a twin. I can claim it. Oh, super. Yeah. Calm down, Wanda. All righty. <laughs> so, um, wow, wow. These, yeah. This, gosh, it's so wonderful to meet you all. You know, on the ground floor, as you step up, you know, like, you know, bring the, bring the floors up, build your buildings, and wow, Catherine, you're thank yes. you for introducing us to these wonderful Absolutely, and it's my hope that a producer will come and go, yes, I want to add this as part of my season, because I know um, it's, I mean, it's it's a little teensy, teensy bit better now, but I know um, women of color playwrights and women of color directors don't seem to get as much work and when we do we get pigeonholed um and we can do anything so i'm really hoping these works get picked up and and produced that's the whole point that that brings up another point catherine um in in my play i wanted to create um a character that black women would enjoy embodying Right. Instead of um, instead of uh, the black women or the black people in the, in the play being objects in somebody else's reality, I wanted black people to be the subject of this reality. Right. And I really wanted to create characters that black actors would enjoy being. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that counts for a lot. <laughs> yeah, it does count for a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to open it up. Um, you know, there's talk about craft 
and uh, creativity and uh, why theater? You know, you could be playing an instrument. Maybe you do. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you want to. And they yeah. do. The body's an instrument. The brain's an instrument. The heart's an instrument. So, yeah, they do. They play their instruments well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for me, the the experience of writing this story has sort of triggered my desire to um, learn other things. I want to learn guitar, for example. I'm learning how to crochet. There's just all of these things. It feels so good to create, right? And I think over the last 20 years, say, in the Bay Area, it's we've all been suckered by hustle culture where, yeah, yeah. You're just doing stuff. You're doing stuff. You're doing stuff, but you're not gratifying yourself and you're not growing. So, you know, yeah, this experience has sort of triggered, re-triggered my desire to just be the best Tracy I can be, you know, and leave behind Tracy artifacts, right? And hopefully encourage other people to enjoy their self, right? Right. You're the best. Thank you, Sue. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that Tracy artifact. Alejandra. <laughs> You're taking the words out of my mouth, Tracy. I agree completely. I think we just have this hustle culture and like the the urge to monetize things yep. that we just enjoy doing. Yeah. So just doing things for the sake of doing them because it brings us joy, I think is super important right now. Um, and I'm also trying to learn the guitar too. I'm also like <laughs> trying to build new skills, but just for me, like I'm not trying to do it for anyone. It's just simply for me right now. Um, Yeah, so very much agreeing with Tracy on that uh, because I think it's it's really easy to just slip into like the whole capitalist mind frame of like, we need to be productive all the time. And, And we don't, we can rest, we can take care of ourselves and have that be a priority. And just enjoy our senses, right? Mm-hmm. I have burned so much incense over the last couple of years because it smells terrific. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catherine, are you a yeah. playwright too? Um, well, I've, I've written, <laughs> I guess we're a, a group of firsts. I've written my first play which is actually a solo piece um, called Angry Black Woman. So I guess so, and I'm writing other solo pieces because apparently I don't know how to write for people yet. (laughs) Um, It's a very specific talent being able to voice other people. Um, So yeah, I I started writing uh, just to express my anger and sadness at this world towards women of color, specifically black women. Yeah, I, re- I remember seeing your um, Angry Black Woman piece, and where was, were where did you see it? I think I saw it at um, uh, the um, Bay Area Playwrights Festival location. You know, the theater in San Francisco at the bottom of the hill. Um, oh, okay, okay. At the um, yeah, they had a little solo thing. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. That's Yes, I, I did it there. I also did it, I did a piece of it at um, Afro Solo, 
saw it there too. Yeah. Before, yeah, I did a little piece and then I did the larger piece uh, at what's that new place called? It used to be Thick House. When thick yeah, that's the, that's the place that used to be Thick House, exactly. But I can't yeah. remember the name. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah. Yeah, that's, it that's was, what I'm up to. It was amazing seeing you do all those different characters. Oh well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and as a black, it's woman, scary being I, on stage. is really scary. I've I've spent most of my life on um, being a director, being a stage manager, as far as theater is concerned. I mean, before I started stripping, um, I think had I not started stripping, I wouldn't have been able to do this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, because you have um. Uh, theater that you started like burlesque something or another? Um, I have a uh, I had a troupe, a burlesque oh. troupe called Ruben S. Burlesque because we were all fat. We were all fat strippers. And uh, I had that troupe for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we traveled all over the country and Canada. And um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really awesome. So um, in May, um, <clears throat> You know, when when Tracy's play um, in this particular um, mini festival, um, what happens next with the um, the uh, Bay Area Women's Theater Festival? Like, does it have like does it kick up again in the fall? Like, how do people stay in touch? We're hoping to kick up a full season. Um, it started off. We wanted to make sure we hit March particularly hard because that's Women's Month, right? Yeah. So um, we're hoping to re-up and get the ball rolling again mm-hmm. in uh in 2024 okay so we're uh this is just to like hey we're still here remember us women are still doing this work mm-hmm. and uh then we're going to gear up and do something solid 2024 we'll do something in 2023 i'm not sure what i'm hoping that we'll do the bywalk play reading festival again uh play reading series again because I really love giving voice uh, to women of color, um, and I think that's necessary in theater. So was that's what I'm first, hoping. Was this a first or a second um, of this series, reading series? Um, this is the second time we've done it. The first time we did it, before the world collapsed, um, Alejandra was able to do her reading once. And um, so this time we're doing a completed series. So, yeah, this is the second go-round. Okay, okay. But the first time we've been able to complete the series. Got it, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we have really strict COVID protocols. Like, you have to wear your mask. We <laughs> look at your cards and your ID before you come in. Um, you have to wear your mask the whole entirety of the play. Um, yeah, so it's nice to be out in the world. Um in community with people watching theater again. So, but we are, we are being careful with our audiences. And, and how do people, um, what's the website for um, the Bay Area um, Women's Theater Festival for people to be able to go and get tickets and things? Is that how you buy tickets through the website or? So it's you simply can... just, yeah, Bay Area Women's Theater Festival.com and then there will be a link to get tickets uh, there and tickets are free. Yeah, okay. they're free. Wow, you must have a phenomenal fundraiser. We encourage donations. <laughs> yep, just like any other uh, theater theater group. So, yeah, um, get tickets, and if you are not able to get a ticket, just roll up. Um, 
because we want you there. We'd rather have you there than not there to, to listen to these, to this wonderful work. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just wondering um, if uh, in closing, if you had any other thoughts, but also I was just wondering if you, if there were any, any, any women, women connected to the Bay Area Women's Theater Festival that, you know, um, have transitioned or, you know, that you might want to call their name um, to honor them in this space, or not necessarily connected to the Bay Area Women's Theater Festival, but connected to you, uh, that you might like to honor in this space as we conclude. Oof. Got to give a shout out to Toni Morrison, always. Maya Angelou, always. Um, Cicely Tyson, always. Um, gosh, there's so many. There are so many. Um, but those are the three that come to my head right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tracy? I would like to just take a moment to remember all of the lovely black families that I grew up with in San Francisco who are now gone and all of the wonderful moms who did everything they could and everything right and San Francisco still became what it is today. That is uh, a city that at one point I guess had about 20% of a black population which is now down to three. Wow. I believe those are the stats. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, memory of a past that is now gone. Um, I'll I'll shout out. uh, We lost uh, three of my family members this year to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, also on my maternal side, and they were all siblings. Um, so there's just three siblings just within the span of a year. Um, so Agustin, Domingo, and Rita, um, shout them out, and then to all the families crossing the border and in detention centers still. Well, I want to um, bring into the room... Um, Mama Sojourner Truth, uh, got this in Washington at Frederick Douglass's home. Uh, so I share to him. And I want to also sort of, um, you know, bring into the space, you know, the wombs that bore the wombs that bore the wombs that bore the womb that bore me. And, and say thank you so much for not giving up. Because you could have, you know, you could have yeah. that book, yeah. but you didn't. Yeah. I share. Yeah. So thank you all so much for joining. Thank you. This program and wow, I'm just so excited to. We'll see you at the theater. Yes. yes. Um, yes. not physically, no, but I'll I'll listen to the recording. Okay. This will be on. Um, they'll be on YouTube on the festival. So lovely. We are recording them and putting them there. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll be there in spirit. Okay. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Have a good day, y'all. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was a really wonderful conversation, and I need to go to YouTube uh, to the uh, Bay Area Women's Theater Festival and watch some of these um, 
uh, readings. And if you've already done so, um, send me an email. Let me know how how it how it um, or actually if you went to um, either Brava or to Aurora, the Aurora Theater for some of these um, readings live. That would be so cool. Let me know how it went. So I'm gonna play uh, a song, and then we're going to um, gonna surprise you with something from the archives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to do Amakela Gaston. I like her um I like her handbone and uh I'm trying to find it. But it's not uh I'm not finding it. So I think I'm gonna play uh her um lovely day. Well and I think I'll play her nature boy. <laughs> Too many choices. Very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wanders very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy, sad of eyes, but very wise was a he. Magic day, he passed my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, all this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love.
Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, it's all about love. And because uh, uh, when we were calling names, uh, I think um, Catherine mentioned Toni Morrison, I had an interview with uh, Timothy Greenfield Saunders, who is the director of um, uh, Pieces of Me, um, myself, <laughs> uh, the Toni Morrison film that he completed before she passed. And, uh, and I thought, oh, well, let me play that. Um, I don't have the date on the interview, but uh, it's been a couple of years now. But it was really a good interview, so I'm going to play that now. That's how we're going to close out our show. So thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned um, for next Wednesday. Hey, Timothy, how are you? I'm good. I think I was supposed to call you right around now. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I was um, looking for a place in my apartment that was quiet. I, I know that they're, they're doing some work upstairs. It's like, oh, no, this is not good. They didn't check with me first. Oh, man, your film is so marvelous. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. it is. It's such a tribute, long overdue to this fabulous woman. Long overdue. I agree with you. And yeah. I'm so happy that, wow, it took you 40 years, right? <laughs> I mean, like, really? Yeah, 38. I mean, I met Tony in 1981. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm rounding yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the 38th year. Mm-hmm. That's right. Amazing, right? Yeah, uh, totally amazing. And and I was just thinking as I was reading this really marvelous um, interview um, in the press package that, um, I don't know, like, were you put on this planet to do this? Because, I mean, the way that, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, how you met her and, and, and you know, in, in the studio and you did such a great job on capturing her image and, you know, for people of African descent, you know, that spiritual thing around spirit living right, in image right. and for you to be able to like, so I'm thinking, wow, and all, and all those different various shots, that's your work. That's your skills. It's, uh, Tony calls it strange things. Ah. Sometimes they sometimes they happen. <laughs> Strange things that are unexplained. I guess maybe I was put here to do this film. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's just it's just remarkable. And then I was wondering. I mean, her. You know the way you you tell this great story, and you know, and I'm wondering about the title because there are so many aspects of her life that you could have zeroed in on. Tone. You know, like, but. But this is the story that you all tell. Well, the, you know, the title is a line from Beloved. Mm-hmm. And we were searching, really, for a subtitle. Um, and when I saw that, it, it, it all came together kind of perfectly because it, it, it relates to Nicolene Thomas's wonderful opening where the pieces of Tony come together. It relates to the way Tony writes in that she is, you know, and it comes in, it's not linear. She comes from many different directions and it, it also relates to the concept of the film, which is that these are the pieces of Tony Morrison 
the mother, the single mother, the the editor, you know, the the teacher, and of course the great writer, the Nobel winner. Right, right. That's so true. You know, I think I'm going to have to go sit in my car. Um, <laughs> yeah, can can I, I um, can hear you perfectly. By the, oh, by the way, you sound oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, can you? Oh, I do. Oh, super, super. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, because they're they're hammering upstairs. I don't know. Do you... I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing any of that. You've got oh. Noise canceling something or other. It's working. Oh. Well. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, super. Well then, um, I'll stay here then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. So I was just sort of like, um, sort of jotting down questions. I, I don't know. It was as I was watching the film, um, last week. I, um. I just took so many notes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and well, it's, it's, you know, it's a really uh, dense film in that sense. Mm-hmm. There's so much to think about. You know, we we um, kind of lull you in because Tony ha- is so lo- loving, really, in the film. You know, you love her, mm-hmm. and I think that once you start to watch it, all of a sudden, there's so many things to think about. Right. Yes, there are. There are. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me about, you know, the tour, Toni Morrison that you know and um, and what pieces of her didn't make it into the film because, you know, we – I just love the, the uh, uh, learning about her family and, and their moving, you know, have her mother, you know, having to pick up the girls and, and move – you know, to right. Ohio, right? Uh, this right. Her, grand, her grandmother, yeah. Her, her grandmother, grandmother. Yeah. right, right, yeah. yeah. And then her father sounds so powerful, like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those yeah. stories are, like, such, so riveting. Yeah. You know, she, she wonderfully kind of contrasts her parents in a very vivid sense of their personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in the film she says, my mother took – looked at each person as an individual and she she didn't look at color or anything she just looked at them as like you know she who they were and if they were a good person or not really and her father was very very strident and different you know but for good reason i mean he had come from some you know place of horror and seen terrible things right right so definitely and then i wonder if because her father was such a strong presence in her life and and i you know i love the part you know where um you know she she talks about or you narrate how um what happened when her father passed and 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 that effect on her life i was wondering um it's not stated but i wonder if this is why she was able to function in such a male-dominated um uh you know, it's a movie. Yeah, it's a very interesting point you bring up, and I. It doesn't. You know, it's not specified in the film, but I know from knowing her and from hearing her talk that her father was a tremendous influence on her, and mm-hmm. also he believed in her. Mm-hmm. And I think from a very very early age, her father uh, adored her. You know, and realized how brilliant she was. I think this was a man who really knew, you know, you kind of know which when your children are special in some way that they're exceptional. I think he knew she was exceptional. Uh, and and I think that 
probably stayed with her her whole life, that this strength that she got early on from him. Right, right, yeah. Um, you're... I'm happy you brought that up. Thank you. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, because, I mean, here's this woman smoking a pipe, and she's the only woman, and all these men, and 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 some people might be like, "Whoa, all these powerful white men, you know, aren't you like lucky?" And it was like, "No, they're lucky to have me." <laughs> yeah, I was more interesting than they were, she says. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and she just really holds her own and and claims her space and doesn't right. compromise. I mean, I love it, you know that she was not about to take less pay, you know, for the same yeah, job. Yeah, I think all, all of the lessons that we try and teach today mm-hmm. for women and for people to kind of have their own uh, confidence where they are and to believe in themselves, she was doing, she was a pioneer. Mm-hmm. She was doing that when it was really hard. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a single mother of two, you know, yeah, two yeah. two black two black boys. That's like, wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um how um I I know you've been asked this question, so I'm gonna let you, you say you answer it um uh, again. I, I was thinking about um um how how you um you frame um you know, your subjects um you know, with your camera, um, both your steel camera yeah. and your um, uh, and your uh, your other your other lens, um, film camera, the yeah. film camera, yeah. right, right, exactly. Yeah. And it's real intentional, um, you know, the way you shoot. And I was thinking about the um, uh, the photographer whose whose name escapes me right now, who um, who did the portraits in I Dream a World. Uh, camera uh, calendar. I, I know the. I know. Yes, I know the. I know the book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and yeah. he and he said when he was um when the when he was uh on tour with the exhibit and the calendar um, at the Oakland Museum, you know that he um you know he had his subjects. He was looking up to them, you know um mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to down, and and mm-hmm. um and and your your camera is really intentional as well, um and and I think. Um, there's also a philosophical intent that comes through in the way you shoot um, both um, Morrison as well as, you know, the people that are, um, you know, speaking about her. And I was wondering if you could talk about about positioning and, and, mm-hmm. and how that, and also around sort of like power dynamics within. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, on the I'm a kind of hyphenate. I'm a photographer and a filmmaker, yeah. and my photography is distinctive. I have a look that is really a simple backdrop and one light and, uh, and a direct-to-camera gaze. And, you know, that is all purposeful because what I'm trying to do is focus on the person, not on my fancy lighting or not on some environment that they're in, but I'm trying to say, look at th- look at this person here. And, and and look into his or her eyes. That's that's kind of my intention. And I translate that look to film so that when you're looking at these interviews, you're getting the, the kind of the beauty of my portrait lighting, but you're really focusing on that person. And what I, what I tried to do in this film was that 
you notice Tony is the only one who's talking directly to camera. The others are talking off camera. They're, they're talking about her, but she's talking to us. And that was uh, very, very conscious on my part. It was something I've never seen in the documentary where you combine those two. You either decide one way or the other, but you don't do both. But I felt that by letting Tony be the only one talking to camera, it also gives her agency and it makes it so it's Tony's story. She's the one looking at us. It, it, it becomes overwhelmingly clear that she's telling the story. Right. Yeah, yeah, it is really clear. It, you know, it looks, the whole work looks like she is directing it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, which as a white male director, I'm very conscious of, you know, with my white male gaze and how I, you know, I surrounded myself with people who were able to kind of bring voices to the production to the film and at the same time it you know making sure that by shooting it the way I did Tony is really telling her story Mm -hmm. right right yeah 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 you you um uh you write um and you talk about um your um your film series on identity, the black list, the Latino right, list, right. the trans list. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I was just wondering how, like, this film is like a culmination of that move and, you know, that, that series. And, like, what could be after this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, gosh, at the moment, I'm not even thinking about what what to do next. But when you look at this film and you see the 12 people in it, yeah, I mean, they all deserve. They, all those other people deserve documentaries. Sonia Sanchez, my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. what a story mm-hmm. that is. And and Walter Mosley and, and Angela Davis and you know Farron Griffin. All these people are remarkable. So you know, there's a, there's there's so many great stories out there to tell, but. The Tony one was very personal to me because she's been such an influence on all of our lives, but on my life in particular. She, you know, she was the one that got the blacklist idea. Uh, she really it morphed from an idea that she had. So uh, you know, I give her credit for for that whole series. Really, it was based on an idea that Tony had. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I could kind of imagine um, just what it was like, you know, for you to do all of your setup and like having no assistance, you know, at this first first shoot. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Someone said to me recently, they said, "Do you remember, you know, what she was like back then?" Because it's it's you know a hell of a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I said thinking about it, and I said, I remember how confident she was. As a person, and that when you're a photographer, you're looking at the subject, you're trying to read the subject and feel like, is this person nervous? Do I make need to make him or her feel better? What do I need to do to uh, to, to get trust from the subject? Mm-hmm. And I remember with Tony, she she walked in smoking a pipe. She was confident. She was, you know, she was clearly like, here we are, let's do it. You know, it was it was very. Uh, it was remarkable. I remember that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other aspect, there are so many, um, 
um, is the art. Oh my gosh, like oh my all God, this beautiful yeah. art. Yeah. You're like, okay, so yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> and I and then I just think about you know, like I recognize you know Charles White, Carol right. Walker, right. Carrie James Marshall, Jacob Lawrence. I'm like, right. and Jacob Lawrence is like, you know, the migration series when her family's moving. I'm like. Wow, this yeah. is so great! The illustration, like, yeah. let the artist yeah. illustrate this 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 story. Well, I it's just so beautiful. Before. You know, I never seen it in a film. Ah, it's. I, I always thought, like, why aren't we cutting to paintings sometimes? Mm-hmm. It always cuts to a photo. Right. And and I think that when you that what we did here was so special because it brought twenty something African American artists work into the film, which was a which was wonderful, but it also, excuse me, it also was about a feeling that these images give, not just illustration, but they were giving you a mood and an understanding being said. So when we, when Sarah Griffin is saying, you know, there's a whole world out there that white people don't even know about, and we cut to the Carrie James Marshall pastimes painting, what could be a better image you know, than that, that painting. It's just a flawless piece of filmmaking in my, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but I, but it was very, it was fun to do that, to think like, and, I, and I, I have a long history, you know, in the art world, I photographed for 20 years the art world, and I, I, oh, I have okay. seven, I have 700 of artists and art dealers and critics of the art world, I have 700 portraits at the Museum of Modern Art oh. in their collection. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very big part of my life, and I studied art history at Columbia, so okay. I know a lot about art, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of artists, and many of them in the film are friends of mine, you know, uh, Kara Walker and mm-hmm. Lorna Simpson, and I actually photographed it, Jacob Lawrence, oh. uh, before he before he died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So, so, you know, I have a kind of understanding of, of, of art and art history. And it, it really became a, a <clears throat> important part of the film. And it's why we had Micheline Thomas there, you know, as well. Yeah, tell me about Micheline Thomas, um, uh, the collage. Um, but, yeah, just tell me about well, Micheline Thomas in general yeah. and... Yeah. Well, Micheline Thomas is a very, very important contemporary artist, and I was I, she's one of the one of the artists I did not know personally. And I pulled an Oprah, you know, I just found her phone number somehow. And I called her, <laughs> and uh, I explained what we were doing, and she said, "I'm in," you know, that quickly. And I think that was the reaction of almost everyone I reached out to. Um, Really, it was everyone felt that way about Tony, and and Micheline is is known for her collage work. So I thought there was a way for her to do some kind of piece for the opening based on my photographs. And we gave her, oh gosh, you know, hundreds of images to play with, and all, every photo I'd taken of Tony, and just said, you know, go to town on this. And four months later, <laughs> we were about to show the uh, send the film to Sundance to try and get into the festival and I called her and I said I need something really next by next week and it, you know she sent us a marvelous piece that we finessed into that opening that you see 
Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I remember um um when uh Tony Morrison's son passed, um, you know, Slade and um yeah, 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 yeah. and um yeah, the the film, you know, is is both personal and public, you know, yeah. uh, in in the way that it's um that is choreographed, so to speak. And and I just love hearing from her friends because you could say that the people that are talking about her are really like they are like they're groupies, but they're also her friends. I mean, like you know, Oprah is just so dramatic, and Sonia Sanchez. Yeah. You know, when she starts crying, I start crying. It's like, oh, oh my God. And then Angela Davis, yeah. like, who knew that Toni Morrison yeah. was the reason why we have her autobiography at 28, like we think, yeah. Angela Davis was really 28 at one point? Yeah. <laughs> well, we, look at what she was doing at 28. And then Muhammad Ali, oh, my oh, yeah, goodness. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, and Walter Mosley. I mean, they're all just sitting around at their kitchen table, just just sort of like just chopping it up, as they say. It is so <laughs> special. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, they're like what you said. They're kind of Tony Morrison groupies, but they're also her friends. You know, yes, very, yes. Very, they they understand the the the. It was Paula Griffin said that about Tony. She means so much to us. Mm, yes. You know, yeah. and I love that line. Mhm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it was so funny, you know, to see my um uh my friend, uh my daughter's um uh colleague, they went to a California College of Arts and Crafts together. He got a master's, my daughter got a, a BFA. Um, Hank Willis Thomas. I'm like, Hank, you are oh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His mother is a friend of mine. Deborah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Deborah's she was wonderful. Very prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know her work, and yeah, she's fabulous. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I love that piece of his too. And you know, isn't that sort of perfectly placed as well? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of image. I mean, what else would you go to? That's just a divine piece of art to to shoot there, to mm-hmm. show there. Right, right, yeah. And then you know Elizabeth Catlett. I mean, like you know, like you got like yeah. a who's who. I mean, some people are making their appearances. You know, as spiritual beings, right. and and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely, you know, their their presence is like an ashe to to their work and their spirit and what they've done for our our people. Yeah. Um, right. Right. But it's also an ashe to Morrison, like you know, tipping their hat. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It is, and it, and it was intentional. And I'm hoping you're saying that. You know, I've watched the film many times with audiences, and mm. certain audiences just really get it. And there's always someone in there who's whispering under her breath or his breath. It's always like Elizabeth Catlett, Charles uh-huh. White. You know, <laughs> the names of, of you know, all the art, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, Carrie James Marshall or something like that. And, and it's, it, I, love, I love that when that happens because, you know, it, it's, they're part of the dialectic, these these images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how 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 long you know did it take you to pull it all together? I mean, of course, thirty eight years. But um, <laughs> this particular, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really about five years. Okay. The time I first talked to Tony, and mm. 
asked her if she would consider it and and she didn't say no which was a good sign right and and then uh, finding the funding for it and you know assembling the team and and choosing the people to be in it and and then you know really two years of editing is an enormous amount of work researching mm-hmm. and yeah. finding all of this material in, in you know in high resolution and getting the licenses for it all of that is just a tremendous amount of work Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, how did you decide, because I'm sure everyone you asked to talk about, uh, you know, Ms. Morrison probably said yes. So how did you end up with the select group of people? And um, and and I, I was reading, you know, that you had a Peter Sellers, um, really yeah. wonderful. Um, yeah, and, and um, when they when they did a tour with, with that particular work, um um they they did a um a symposia at uh u c berkeley and and uh and Toni morrison was she was coming through through skype and and then sellers was in the, he was there as well as the um uh the african artist whose name is escaping me right now ah, i can kick myself. yeah i know who you mean the 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 lead of it yeah yes um, yes yeah um you know uh I was very careful not – I tried to, to not interview anyone who wouldn't make it into the film. Oh. I think, it's, I think it's unfair to just interview lots of people when they give you their time and it, they, their energy. Peter, I, I feel such guilt for because we have a fabulous piece on Shakespeare and Tony with Peter Sellers, and we pulled it because it was an easy seven minutes to pull out of the film. And I have it for the DVD extras and stuff. But, you know, uh, I tried to really just invite people who I knew I, I would include in the film in some way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, Desdemona, that was the name of it. I remember it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was really amazing. And I was so excited, you know, when I thought she was going to be in the house. Because she, yeah. she had come to the Bay Area because she's a friend of um, – of the uh, Marcus Brooks founders um, here. Oh. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and oh, so wow. she would come and do fundraisers for them because um, wow. I think it's, yeah, I think it's the oldest black bookstore here in, in Northern California. Um, right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, wow. I was trying to find, oh, Rokia Traore, that's her name. That's right. That's yeah, from Mali, right. yes. Yeah, right. It was really, right. really phenomenal. Wow, yeah, this this you know, film is... And, and, and mm-hmm. it's interesting, this is an aside in that little seven-minute piece. Yes. We had asked many of the people who sat for us what their favorite Morrison book was, or ah. piece by Morrison. Yes. And Angela Davis said Desdemona. Ah. And isn't that fascinating? Because, <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, she said that when she saw the production, it was the most moving thing she'd ever seen in her whole life. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah. that's, that's in the DVD extra. Like, you know, it was, I wish we could have put it in the film, but there is so much that we could, that other stuff that we had that we had to make decisions. You know, as a director, you got to say, this is the length it's going to be, and mm-hmm. this is the, this is the way it's going to be structured, and I don't think there's room for that mm-hmm. or this, this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hard, it's a hard, uh, hard to make those choices yeah yeah and you know this this particular film you know the um the real the classic with with james um baldwin 
you know, that film that starts with his funeral. And, um, and then we think about the more recent film on Maya Angelou, um, that's such a classic. And this film is like one of those classics before it even hits. <laughs> it's just like. I, I, love, I love hearing that. I have to tell you, I have to leave because I'm in a corner oh, and I'm okay. in a place where I have to do a radio interview. Oh, sure, so no problem. I have, to, I have to get off, but I love talking to you. You really got the film, and you, uh, you, your, your knowledge, your background knowledge of all this other stuff is intense. So I'm very impressed, and and I thank you for doing this. Oh, you're quite welcome, and thank you for making this film. And I'm looking forward to seeing it in the cinema when it opens on the 28th, and seeing it after the part of American Masters. You know that that yeah. that wonderful series that now your film is going to be one of its members of the canon. Congratulations. That's right. Thank you very much. And we hope people will go to the movies to see it because it really is an experience to see it in theaters. You know, it, it's special that way. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah. a party together. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the okay. day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.